Hey gang, this is Lisa Peck, and welcome to Revive with Lisa Peck podcast. I am so excited about helping you learn how to be more relationally attuned. In a world filled with struggles and conflict and tension, I hope to make relational health fun and easy. Not all of us need therapy, not all of us can afford therapy, but I believe all of us can grow more wise and insightful and engaging in the connections we have with ourselves, with others, and with our God. I'm convinced that all of us can learn the art of calm, of awareness, and of investing relationally. Through my podcast, I hope to give you an opportunity to listen and maybe even practice with your own people. And in so doing, together, we get to help usher in a relational revival. Welcome to Revive with Lisa Peck. Welcome back, and thanks so much for listening in. This month, I'll be devoting the podcast to increasing our self-awareness. Some of us get a little upset with too much focus on self, but it's my conviction that if we want to grow healthier in our relationships, it's important to be honest with ourselves about our own growth areas as well as our vulnerabilities. It's my hope that this month's podcast will help with that process. Well, today we're going to hear from an incredible therapist and teacher as well as a dear friend of Carl and mine, Marshall Lyles. You might get sick of hearing me say this because I'll probably say it about everyone I interview, but you are going to love this interview. In fact, we had so much fun and he shared so much relevant information. I'm making it into two separate podcasts. The guy we are about to hear from is incredibly gifted in understanding relationships and helping others understand them too. Marshall Lyles has an amazing pedigree. He's a licensed professional counselor supervisor a licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor, a registered play therapist supervisor, an EMDRIA approved consultant, which simply means he knows a lot about working with people of trauma and is qualified to train others to do the same. He has over 15 years of practice in family and in play therapy, as well as extensive speaking and training experience. I could go on and on. This man is truly one of my husband and my favorite people on the planet. We have taught and ministered together for years. In fact, the first time I remember meeting Marshall, we were doing a training event in Atlanta called More Than Counseling. He was pretty quiet, but whenever he spoke, it really resonated with me. And there were what seemed to be times when I would be talking or teaching that I would catch him smirking or chuckling to himself. So later that night, we were driving him back to his hotel and he shared that he thought he and I might be related in some way because he saw himself as the introverted version of my extroverted hyperactive self. He was thinking of everything I was impulsively blurting out and he found me hilarious. We became fast friends. So I could talk with him about a lot of different subjects and I probably will for future podcasts. But for this first interview, I asked him, what would he be most interested and excited to talk about? The one he chose and we're diving into is called reflective functioning, which actually I'm gonna let him explain. Grab a notebook and a pen, trust me, you will want to take notes. Hey gang, we are with Marshall Lyles today. I am so excited to hear from you, my friend. And we're talking about reflective functioning. You said that that was your top pick. So can you help 
our listeners understand what is reflective functioning and why was it your top pick for the podcast today? Absolutely. It's a concept that has come to have a lot of meaning, um, probably not just because of what I've studied and what I do in my day job, but uh, just the season of life I'm in and how I'm, I'm trying to monitor my own growth and am I doing all the things that I can to become aware of how to be more relationally secure and available. Um, and and this, so this concept has a lot of meaning for me and, and, and um, how to evaluate that, how to come to terms with being a little more comfortable and looking inward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's reflective of where I am, that I am uh, focusing on such functioning. Man, I love that. And you and I have spoken in times past about how important it is just even for us therapists to make sure we're doing our own internal work. So it sounds like this fits in that setting, right? It does. And that is hard. It is. I don't love it nope. all the time. Mm-mm. Nope. I actually don't like it a lot of the time <laughs> when I'm on the other <laughs> side of it and I've had new insight and I'm feeling much more relationally secure. It's easy to talk about it, but man, when you're going through it, it is hard. Yeah, it's like elective surgery. That's a great way to put it. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Well, okay, tell us a little bit from maybe even from an academic perspective, what is reflective functioning? It is an idea that fits uh, in attachment theory. Uh, Attachment theory has been around for a long time, and and it's become – a popular concept and um, even in self-help books in recent years but it it goes back to you know early to mid 1900s when a guy named John Bowlby started writing about how we don't move through stages of development um, in a vacuum that that the quality and the, the intensity and the availability of relationships with a prominent caregivers in our life influence how we develop um, and then we all come out um, of, of childhood and into adulthood with these relational templates based on what we've seen and heard and witnessed and, and decided must be true about ourselves. But the hard thing about um, that attachment theory is it's happening at a time in life, um, attachment development, when we're really not completely aware of, of how we're internalizing all of those things. And so we end up with a template that we don't know we have. Right. And then we just start trying to fit and make sense of all future relationships in terms of this um, early blueprint. So Did- reflective functioning, it, it fits into that general idea. Wow. And that's probably why it makes it so hard. It's like developing new neural pathways, learning a new language, learning how to dance. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward because what feels familiar, that relational template, if you will, we're not even aware of. That's it. That I like the, the dance uh, metaphor because it is definitely for people, um, you know, like me, <laughs> the worst possible scenario is a dance floor at a wedding for about 7,000 reasons that that is my personal hell. So I really resonated with discomfort with you. Sure. She's trying to give you a really relevant metaphor. It is. I My my whole body is now covered in chills. As right. I Visceral experience. Just... You are welcome. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the thing about reflective functioning is that, you know, it it's it's this concept for me that's an, an entry point into not necessarily that I, I believe that I can come to be fully aware of how I think and feel all the time, but am I increasing my comfort with looking inward? Mm. That I, I have this ability to say that how I'm interacting in any given relational moment has been influenced by some moment before that. And what's my degree of um, awareness uh, that that the two are related? Even if I don't ever find the exact link, can I be invested in the search? Mm. Wow, that's so subjective. Can you tell our listeners, tell me, how do you do that? What steps maybe are you, if you want to share personally, what are you doing, but maybe even professionally? What, tell me, how do you do that? I like, I like um, the way that one author, um, last name Phonagy, that talks about reflective functioning. And I read somewhere that he said, in general, that we're allowing our thoughts a place to Um, access emotion and we're allowing our emotions a place to access cognition uh, that they're not in competition that they're informing one another and just the very act of trying to allow um, simultaneous noticing um, makes it a little more likely that we're going to be reflective to a point that that we're aware of that subjectivity in any given moment so i i've tried to start noticing that um, as a human, um, I tend to be a little more cognitive <laughs> and I can find my way into a thought, but not not allowing that thought to be the end point. And so if I'm going through everyday life and I have a conversation with someone and I end that conversation with a, it's a, a passing belief about, I really don't think that person enjoys me or... <laughs> Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't particularly feel fond of how um, that went. That I then try to chase that cognition toward an emotion. Like I try to allow it to, to find. And then whenever I'm holding both things about, I don't think they liked me. And that felt a little rejecting. Mm. I wonder how that might be familiar. And, and once they're, they're together, it's a lot easier for me to be um, looking for the earlier life familiarity. And it could have been something a week ago, a year ago, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but the, the, the two really need to find one another in order to, to look well internally. You know, Marshall, you are describing my marriage. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) thoughts allowing emotions and emotions allowing thoughts and kind of the journey of chasing the cognition all the way to emotion is how my beloved left brain husband lives. And I, I don't always just feel my emotions. I become my emotions and trying to move into what does that then leave me thinking is just so hard but we have to do that every single day in our marriage it's it also sounds to me as if that would be a very hard exercise to do alone that you would have to have a safe community relationships to be able to do that can you speak to that a little bit is that true for you it is true for me and 
Yet, um, as an introvert, I I often do have to start alone. I just can't believe that that's the end point. And so I I have, you know, we all do. We have these internal parts that are trying to relate to one another um, that, that I feel like I have to sit with for a moment. Um, but then when I start to um, become aware of a pattern or a need or a curiosity, I have to really make a note to move that into external relationship in order to have then a felt experience uh, with it um, because it, it can stay and even pull me into darkness when I keep it too alone. Um, and so I think other people work the other way, that they first need to experience that externally, and then um, their challenge is to go sit with that and quiet for a minute um, on the other side of that. And so I, I think it's both and. Yeah, I I was on a walk this morning before um, recording this, and I'm listening to a book that's been out for years that most every female, at least in in the South, I'm going to say lovingly, Southern Evangelicalville, said, you need to read Francine Rivers' Redeeming Love. And I tried it I almost two decades ago, and I couldn't get through the prologue because it's it's about an eight-year-old who's sex trafficked. And I that is just personally reprehensible to me. And I find myself completely resistant. And yet I've been invited and encouraged to press into that. So I'm on my walk and I'm just this flood of emotions. And I come home and the person that encouraged me, I just send her a barrage of texts about, I hate this. This is ridiculous. I don't want to do this. What is the matter? And realizing I am just extroverting my emotions all over the place and sliming this poor, precious girl who simply innocently said, hey, Lise, why don't you read this book? It's an amazing experience and have to keep pressing into what's going on inside in my internal world that would give me such a strong, not just emotional, but visceral reaction to what I am hearing. So I'm, I am the antithesis of you, my friend. I'm an external processor first and then have to get to my feelings and identify them and then to cognition. And that, you say, is reflective functioning. Is that right? That is reflective functioning. I, I have to come up with... Um, cheats to kind of remind myself to take it into the out loud world. <laughs> what are your um, cheats? And, and <laughs> so I, there's, there's something I used to do when I was younger and um, then um, I've often talked about it therapeutically with clients, but um, I've only recently gotten back into the practice. And so I, I journal frequently. I love to journal. Um, but I, I got out of the practice of going back, you know, a day to a week later and reading where I was, mm. because for me, that's the part of being reflective. Right. Um, and so what, the way that I used to journal and the way that I'm trying to journal now is when I write, um, I try to always leave the page opposite it. So if I'm journaling on the left side, the right page is already always open mm -hmm. so that as I go back and uh, reread the raw, you know, the quick, um, the, the more immediate uh, experience of what was happening, I underline a word, a phrase every, every so often that's hitting me. And then I will write them on the opposite page and kind of prompt myself sometimes through poetry because, of, you know, I'm a very right brain artsy person. Yes. Um, but 
even even when I write it in poetry, um, I'm I am intending that that's going to be the expression. You know, the the introvert got to speak on the left and and moving to the relational on the right. Um, and so I I have to come up with these cheats or I won't I won't remember to go back and to pull that into my out loud known world. Wow. So if you didn't go back, if you did not do kind of the reflective functioning, you were not intentional with that, what's going to show up on your behavior? What are your mannerisms? What would go on with you if you don't take an opportunity to grow more relationally secure and available? Tell me what happens on the other side if you just stay stuck. I don't want to go there. It's too hard. It's uncomfortable. People aren't going to get me. I'll feel painful emotions. In your mind, what's the benefit of doing it versus what happens if you don't do it? But that pulls us right back into attachment theory and and reflective function. Because for me, when I'm not the reflective functioning and being engaged in it and being relationally um, informed is moving me more and more towards security. And as I step out of uh, security, um, I fall back into a pocket of insecurity. Mm. And people have different ways that that manifests. Some people become really anxious and more emotionally clingy to another. Others will become, you know, disorganized and kind of emo- uh, relationally and emotionally um, all over the place. But for me, I become dismissive. Um, and, and so I start to become more quiet. My face will have less expression. My tone of voice will become more muted. Mm-hmm. And I just start to lose uh, those bodily um, manifestations that make relationship feel like it's invited. Mm-hmm. And so people will, will, you know, less and less choose to pursue me or be with me. They'll, they'll interpret that dismissive avoidant part as me not needing anything or me not wanting to be with them, you know, depending on where they are in their pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's how I, I know personally that I'm, I'm moving back into a place of insecurity. And that's what John Bowlby would say was a relational template that started back in childhood. Absolutely. Okay. You know, even those of us who come from secure attachment backgrounds or earned secure that we might say if if you've found your way into security, you're going to have pockets, you know, of, of all of these parts. And so there might be a certain relationship that influenced you. And even me as, um, a, a more avoidant dismissive person, there, there might, there, there is a pocket that can be anxious and, and, and more, um, clingy if a certain familiarity will, will show up and it's not a very big pocket, but it's there. So we have access to all of these things, but we also have these pervasive patterns that, that when we really start to look can become our cues that we're moving into a place of uh, struggle um, and away from being reflective. Wow. This is incredible. And you've given such great words to what happens every single day in the lives of of people all around us and some who are choosing to look at it and be intentional about growing and healing and those that are really avoidant and it just feels way too threatening. So no matter where we find ourselves on the continuum of self-awareness and comfortability with examining our internal world, 
we can all glean some new insights and strategies from what Marshall shared today. We are going to pick up where we left off in next week's podcast, but let me take a minute or two to highlight some key points from this part of the interview and offer a few practical steps we can maybe try this week. So Marshall started out with an internal rhetorical question he's asking himself during this season of his life. Am I doing all the things I can to become aware of how to be more relationally secure and available? That question in and of itself may be the starting point for many of us. Are we doing all that we can? If not, why not? Is it too threatening or feel too vulnerable? Maybe we've been wounded in the past and don't want to risk another try. What might be required of us if we decided to take a step towards more emotional and relational availability? What might need to shift or change in me? Those are tough questions for some of us. This is going to be our first step. Simply asking ourselves the question and reflecting on the answers. For others of us, we are ready to take a deeper step. Marshall went on to share that how I'm interacting in any given relational moment has been influenced by some moment before that. And what's my degree of awareness that the two are related? Even if I don't ever find the exact link, can I be invested in the search? Holy mackerel, deep thoughts by Marshall Lyles. Said another way, am I willing to look at how my past relationships influence me today? Reflective functioning enables us to connect the past with the present, to see patterns of thinking and feeling that may be hidden from my conscious awareness. If we're willing to do the work to explore them, Marshall further shared from the work of Phonicky that reflective functioning allows our thoughts a place to access emotions and our emotions a place to access our thoughts. I found this point especially pertinent. Our thoughts and emotions are not in competition. They are simply informing one another. Our world tends to kind of lean towards all or nothing, black or white, but given the freedom to experience my emotions is beautiful. I can't make it my end point though. Part of growing more attuned is to keep pressing all the way to the thought behind those emotions and vice versa for thoughts. We can't stop at our cognitions believing this is the end. We must continue to journey to the land of emotions. A tough feat for sure. As an external processor or one who analyzes my thoughts and emotions outside my head, I must do this reflection in community. But for someone like Marshall or my husband or maybe even you, they have to have some time of quiet introspection before they're going to be able to share their insights with anyone else. The process of discovery is varied depending upon the way we process. A key point, however, is to do both. Think quietly in the stillness of our hearts and minds alone and share out loud with safe others. We don't live in a vacuum. We ended this part of the interview with what can happen if we choose not to practice reflective functioning. What's the benefit of all this hard work? Marshall's response brought us right back to his initial goal. Being relationally informed is moving us towards greater relational security and availability. If we choose not to examine ourselves in the context of our whole story, we run the risk that we'll repeat unhealthy patterns and stay stuck, or we'll slip back into pockets of insecurity. Our outward behavior often reflects this insecurity, even if I'm not aware of how others are experiencing me. 
We could be anxious and emotionally clingy or disorganized, kind of relationally and emotionally all over the place. Or we could be dismissive, quiet, nonverbal, flat, appearing to be indifferent, kind of putting off a vibe, don't ask. Any of these examples, and I'm sure there are many more, can be indicators that we are not as relationally secure or as available as we believe. I'm not sure about you, but painfully, I could relate to all of those examples. It's just our heart and mind's way of telling us that we need some help. So action steps for this week may include some personal reflection time. Let's make some time this week to reflect on our childhoods. Let's invite one of our inner circle friends to honestly share their impressions of our emotional availability, our relational security. Maybe I have some blind spots. Let's be intentional to pick up our journals, purchase one if you don't have one, and start writing. See what happens. Marshall's suggestion to leave one page of his journal blank, return to it a few days later, reread what you've written, and then write down in the opposite page additional insights was an incredible suggestion. Let's try it. Let's press ourselves beyond our thoughts into noticing our feelings. Let's not assume our emotions determine truth, but move all the way to the other side of our brain where our thoughts reside. Give them a voice too. We can do both. Above all, simply notice. Let's grow in our relational self-awareness. And for those of you who are interested in speaking directly with Marshall, he has a website, marshalliles.com, and that'll be on my website. He does online consulting and supervision. He's open to teaching really on just about any subject, and he's done it all over the country and even the world. He works specifically in training therapists, but he also does Uh, attachment training for lay people. He works with families of adoption and foster care and just high-risk kiddos. He's got a lot of experience with trauma and he's honestly, he's just hilarious. So I would encourage anybody who has any additional questions, go ahead and contact him directly at marshalliles.com. Okay, before I end, I'd like to make you aware of a Revive workshop that I'm going to be leading in Huntsville, Alabama on Saturday, September 29th from 10 to 1. I'm calling it the Journey to Joy, honestly, because I figured no one would want to attend something called the Bitterness Workshop. But that's what we're going to be focused on healing, those tender places in our lives where we carry pain or offense that has turned to resentment or bitterness. Check it out on the website, revivewithlisapeck.com. Hope to see you there. And join me next week when we continue our journey into reflective functioning with Marshall Lyles. And remember, from the words of Paul Young, author of The Shack, every human being is holy ground, if we have the eyes to see it. Until next time.